What a great day, you guys. God is so good. Thank you again, Jim and Kathy, for leading. And I appreciate the, the statement that Jim made at the beginning. He's not Kirk, and Kathy's not Marnie. And yet God still created you, didn't he, right? And so we all have giftings, and we don't have to be something that we are not. And that's the beauty of the kingdom of God. He has something special for you. He has something special for you. He has a calling for you. And so please be encouraged to keep leaning into whatever that calling is. Now, here's the deal. This is no frills this morning, no frills. You're not going to see me with a PowerPoint this morning. You're going to see me with a Bible, my notebook, and my pen, right? And, uh, and that's, that's all you get this morning, you guys, from me. But I'm going to encourage you, something that Trisha and I have been really feeling, really feeling, and this could just be an us thing, okay? And if it's just an us thing, that's no worry. You don't have to feel any pressure to agree with this at all or not, okay? But we have a feeling that it's time for Bibles to make their way back into church again, okay? Because I think too often we rely on our technological devices. Now, if you just open the Bible app in your cell phone, this isn't meant to convict you in any way. But I know this to be true. You remember 10% of what you hear. 10%. That means everything that I've already spoken, you've forgotten. <laughs> Just being honest, except for the first 10 words that I maybe used, okay? So you remember 10%. And so what makes up that 90, other 90% of learning is activating your other senses, such as your eyes in looking, your hands in touching, your nose in sniffing, right? <laughs> right? That's what makes up the other differences. So I'm going to encourage you. You don't have to do this, but I've got some Bibles up here. And if you forgot your Bible, my friend Tessa, beautiful, beautiful Tessa, has already agreed, even though she didn't know this. She's a silent partner in this agreement. But she will be willing to bring you a Bible. And so anybody that needs a Bible this morning, we have some in the front row. Don't be embarrassed. Tessa. Look at that. Isn't Tessa beautiful? Oh my goodness, what a sweet girl she is. And so I'm going to encourage you to have scripture in your hands this morning, because you're going to want to feel those pages. You might even want to write something down today. No pressure though, no pressure, but there is something about your body that uses your five senses to activate your brain in a way that brings learning that God wants you to have. And so we are going to be reading this morning in some scripture. And so I would encourage you to turn this morning. We're going to start off in Luke chapter 8, believe it or not. And so if you know where Luke is, Luke is one of the gospels. And... Uh, it's in the New Testament. It'd be the third gospel, meaning Luke is writing an account of Jesus's life here on earth. Uh, unlike the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke didn't necessarily have the firsthand experience that these other uh, 
disciples had. And so what he's doing is he's collecting stories, evidence, teachings from the other guys and saying, okay, tell me this about, tell me about Jesus. Tell me, you know, what's something you remember? And he's writing all that down and he puts it into this book called the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to begin reading in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. And I'll read, and it says this, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So, being good disciples, they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. He, being Jesus, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, is what my version reads. And they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, again, referring to Jesus, because he's the only one who's sleeping, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Then he asked this, Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Jesus, we thank you for this scripture this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that we have the opportunity to look at scripture and take it into our lives and assess our hearts through it. And so, Father, I pray that through the passages today, through our conversation this morning, Jesus, that you would cause us to go into some self-examination, some self-reflection, Lord, that our hearts would be open and laid bare before you. And Father, I pray the things that we need to hear from you would be buried in our spirits as seeds this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your presence. Amen. Well, hey, good morning, you guys, and thanks for being here with me. If you're used to Kirk preaching, I'm not Kirk. I got my own little flavor and flair, and you might not like it, and that's okay. That is okay. Tell me this. Don't worry about it, Stephen. Don't worry about it, Stephen. Don't worry about it, Stephen. You have to tell me that because I've been telling myself that all stinking week. Because all week long, all week long, and I I do devotionals, I spend time in Word every day, and the challenge for me oftentimes when I'm doing my devotionals as a pastor is to not read a text with the idea of how can I make this into a sermon, but rather to read a text and allow it and say, Jesus, what are you speaking to me about my heart? Kirk talked a little bit about that last week. He was talking about, uh, he uses the expression, read the scripture until the scripture reads you. Okay, that's Kirk's rendition. The way I like to say it is we've got to read scripture for transformation, not for confirmation. A lot of times we're looking in scripture to confirm some weird thought or statement that we believe. And that's not what scripture is for. Scripture is for transformation, okay? It's not about getting God to agree with me. It's about me disowning what I think and saying, okay, God, give me your thoughts regarding me. Give me your thoughts regarding this situation. And so all week long, I've been doing my devotionals 
And then I've been ending my devotionals with this time of reflection and just being like, okay, Lord, I'm preaching on Sunday. I kind of want to know what I'm going to be speaking about. And so Sunday through, Saturday flew by. And I was even talking to Jim on my way to go cut wood yesterday because that's what I needed to do yesterday was go cut wood because winter is coming and winter is delicious, you guys. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it is so delicious. Oh, I love it. I lit the first fire of the year yesterday. Oh, it felt good. Oh, it felt so good. And I just got a big old smile on my face. And you can feel free to slap this smile off my face later. Okay. But anyway, anyway, but all week long, I have got nothing. I got nothing. Well, I got something. But, but I just felt like I have no idea what I'm, what I'm going to be preaching about. I have no idea. I even went to bed last night. I had no idea what I was going to be preaching about. And you know what I've been telling myself all week long? Don't worry about it, Stephen. But guess what? I was worried about it. <laughs> I was, I was, so I had to keep telling myself, don't worry about it, Stephen. And here's the deal. This is what I know to be true. God is good to give you what you need exactly when you need it. And so this morning as I was waking up and going through my morning routine and stuff like that, I was just laying on the couch or sitting on the couch and I was just thinking, okay, Lord, you know this body of believers better than I do. And so what is it that you are wanting to speak to us in this moment? And it was just like, okay, now you're ready. Right? Now you're ready, Stephen. It's not about what you want to speak. It's not about how well you can articulate thoughts and ideas, Stephen. It's about what I want to speak in this moment to my children. Right? That's what the heart of the Father is. And so he was totally cool with just letting me sweat a little bit all week long. And I was doing my best to keep it together all week long and not stress over this thing. But here's the deal. God is good to give us what we need when we need it. And so the word of the Lord this morning and the challenge from Scripture is going to be for us in this moment to break free from anxiety. Okay? And that's something that I deal with on a daily basis with the kiddos that I meet with in my role as a counselor at school. Kids are anxious. I've heard my own kiddos talk about being anxious. I've heard people talk about being anxious. I've been anxious. And I really believe in this season, especially in this series that Kirk is in right now called Rewire, that God is leading us on a journey of being free from anxiety. Now, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? In, me, in my opinion, it sounds very good. And Trisha was joking with me about it this morning. She said, well, why don't you just, uh, you know, take them to the passage, you know, you could spend some time on listing out the things that we're allowed to be anxious about, right? God, Jesus gave us permission to be anxious about some things. Do you know what he gave you permission to be anxious about? Nothing, nothing. It's a short list, Jim. It is such a short list. Yeah, in Philippians 4, 6, in Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious 
for nothing. There is nothing that we are allowed to be anxious about. And so my message today, if I had to give it a title, I would say embracing heaven's rhythms to combat the world's patterns. And what got me thinking about this was thinking more about Kirk's sermon from this last week. He was talking about the ninja patterns in our mind. The ninja patterns in our mind, the sneaky patterns in our mind that kind of get us going and get us stuck in the places that we don't like to be stuck, but yet we find ourselves still stuck in those places, right? And so what we got to be able to do is to break free from those patterns. The hard part is, though, is last week's sermon that Kurt gave us was all about being aware that those patterns exist. When he was talking about emotions, I loved his message on emotions last week. But when he was talking about that, he was talking about how, how he was bringing awareness, right? For, for some of us, we maybe didn't even know that we were falling victim under our own doing to some of these thought patterns that we're allowing to keep ourselves uh, stuck. But awareness is only the first step. And so what do we do now that we know that we struggle or that we know? Because you know that you struggle with anxiety. You know that it creeps in. But it's learning to how, how to deal with it when it comes and what to do when it does come. Uh, a couple years ago, I had the option or the opportunity, I should say, to step back into full-time teaching at Rossell. I had been working as a part-time counselor. I'd worked part-time here in Sisseton at Westside Elementary, and I was working part-time at the church here, especially after Pastor Faring passed away and kind of helping Kirk and Marnie through the transition of, you know, what that's going to look like moving forward for this church. And so for a moment, I stepped away from my role at Rossell, took a part-time job here in Sisseton so that I could work part-time here at the church and kind of help things, you know, move forward the way that they needed to move forward, okay? Well, fast forward, you know, two years later, or three years later, I had the opportunity to step back into full-time at Rossell. And you think, Stephen, why would you go back to being a teacher in a school? Isn't being a pastor a cush job? You know, you just get to come here at the church, drink coffee all day, hear stories from cool people like Ray, and, and then, uh, you know, just hang out and stuff like that. And as hard as it was for me to step out of my position here at church, I really was feeling this draw back into Rossell because here's the deal. In Rossell, where my kids go to school, there was something taking place that I didn't like. I was starting to see the erosion of the culture in our school. I was starting to see things. I was hearing about things from my kiddos, and I was starting to experience things myself whenever I talked to fellow staff members, former co-workers of mine, former administrators. It just, it just seemed like things weren't going in the direction that they needed to go. And I really felt strongly that God was calling me out of ministry here at COC to step into what's called vocational ministry, where I'm going to go work a job as a Christian and have an impact on lives. And so I was seeing this erosion of culture where, where and it, what I was feeling whenever I was at, at the school, whenever I listened to former staff members, whenever I went to pick up my kiddos, whenever I talked to the school secretary, 
everybody just seemed anxious and exhausted. And I just kept saying to myself, this has got to change. This has got to change. This has got to change. And God was like, you ready to do something about it? Oh, what? What? No, I, I work at the church in Sisseton. I don't, that's not my problem anymore. And, and God had other plans. Thankfully, he had other plans to call me back into that. See, what Jesus is doing here in this passage from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, is he is, in, he is teaching us a valuable lesson while sleeping on the job. Right? He is teaching us a valuable lesson while sleeping on the job. Who told them to get in the boat? Oh, I heard it. Who told them to get in the boat? Jesus, right? So Jesus tells them to get into the boat, right? And when he tells the disciples to get into the boat, he commands them to get in the boat. What did the disciples do? They got in the boat. They got in the boat. They obeyed, right? But then he falls asleep, verse 23, and things get a little crazy. And sometimes it feels like that where we take on a calling from God like, I know I heard God. I know I heard his voice that I was supposed to step out and do this thing, whether it's working for Embrace Grace, like our friend Sarah does, whether it's teaching in a school district that you feel called back into, or whatever it is, maybe it's working at Woodland. Maybe it's driving community transit. Maybe it's sitting in a, in a tractor. Maybe it's supervising bus drivers. <sighs> We love you, Joe. <laughs> and sometimes when we step into that calling, it can feel like we stepped into the calling, we stepped out in faith, we obeyed, and where's Jesus? Has anybody seen him? Is he sleeping again? Go wake him up. Doesn't he realize what's going on here? But he's trying to teach us something in those moments. And the disciples do have to wake Jesus up. That's what verse 24 says. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And I've often wondered when I read this passage, what if they didn't wake him up? What would have happened? Like, I don't know, it's just a weird thought that I've had, but what if, what if they hadn't woke him up, right? And so, but Jesus does wake up. He rebukes the storm, right? He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. But then he does something real weird. He doesn't just rebuke the storm. He rebukes the disciples, he rebukes the disciples. Look at verse 25, right? Verse 25, his question, where is your faith? And sometimes we're asking Jesus, where are you right now? And he is asking us right back, where is your faith? Where is your faith in this moment? And you know what I noticed is missing? He didn't thank them for waking him up. It's not in the scripture. He didn't say, oh my goodness. Oh, I can't believe. Whoa, it's a rough day. Thanks for waking me up. No, he doesn't thank them for waking him up. And he doesn't even apologize 
for being asleep. He doesn't thank them for waking him up, and he offers no apology for being asleep. Rather, he challenges their faith. And all of this, in my opinion, begs the question, what should the disciples have done then? If they weren't supposed to wake him, right? Because they got in trouble for waking him up. What should they have done in that situation? And I, th- I can only see two options. Option one, either they should have rebuked the storm themselves, okay? Or they should have fallen asleep with him. You laugh, but those are the only two viable options, right? Either they rebuke the storm or they fall asleep with him. And I think both options, as silly as the second one sounds, are viable options in this moment. See, it's in these moments, right? My, I love the version that I read, which is the New International Version. It talks about the boat being swamped. It's in those moments that we need to remember and rely on the authority of Jesus, right? The authority of Jesus. We talked about this in, uh, in Sunday school, actually. Trisha and I talked about the word authority with our kiddos. We were talking about being a servant. That's what our conversations have been on right now. But before we got into that, we were talking about Jesus's authority. Now, if you got a piece of paper, write the word authority down. And then cross off the I-T-Y. And what are you left with? Author. Author. What do authors do? They write. And Jesus is writing the story. That's what I teach our kiddos in Sunday school. Jesus has written your story. You can trust him with how it's supposed to go. He has written your story. He knows the beginning. And he definitely knows the end. You can trust him with everything in between. And so he is the author. And it's in those moments of being swamped, we need to remember and rely on the authority of Jesus because it's by his authority that the disciples could have rebuked the storm. And it is also by his authority, honestly, that they could have fallen asleep. And things still would have worked out. Don't worry about it, Stephen. It's going to work out. What you need, when you need it, I'm going to give it. What you need, when you need, I'm going to give it. The disciples were constantly, this is the thing that gets me, and it's and as, as shocking as it is for me to read it about the disciples, it should be just as shocking about myself because the disciples were constantly surprised by and needing to be reminded of Jesus' authority. Take a look at the latter half of verse 25 there. After he says, where's your faith? In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? And they've seen Jesus do some things now. At this point, they've seen Jesus do some things. He's done some pretty miraculous things at this point in their walk with him. He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him, right? And sometimes we get stuck in that in that amazement of like, oh my goodness, like I'm so surprised that God came through for me exactly when I needed it, right? Or is that just me that's constantly surprised by those moments? No, no, it's you too. 
It's you guys too. We're all in this together, okay? And so that's why it takes us to encourage one another, right? Because you don't know my situation, I don't know your situation, but the good news is we serve the same great God, right? And so if he can do for me what I need in my situation, I know he can do for you what you need in your situation. Whatever you need, when you need it, he's ready to give it, okay? And so the, 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 the process, though, is what we're going to be talking about here in a little bit, right? And so if Jesus is able, this is a question that I've asked myself in this passage. I heard a pastor ask this question once, and I wrote it down, and I've just always remembered it. And he said this, he said, if Jesus is able to sleep in the middle of the storm in my life, what does he know that I need to know? I'm going to say that again. If Jesus is able to be asleep in the storm in my life, what does he know that I need to know? It's time for me to lean into him. It's time for me to trust him. And I, I love this passage because Jesus used his authority to make everything that was externally chaotic, raging water, right? Blowing wind. He used his authority to make everything that was externally chaotic to match the calm that he felt on the inside. And that's the challenge. See, there's this uh, rabbi. His name is Edwin Friedman. He was a rabbi and a family therapist. I'm not going to belabor this idea too much here. But he said that there's a problem. He says this, there's many modern families. This is what Edwin Friedman identified. Many modern families have an emotional system that is characterized by chronic anxiety. Meaning, if my kids are anxious, if my kids are anxious, chances are I must be modeling anxiety. Mom, dad, husband, wife. If the people around you are anxious, what are you doing to either stop it or to perpetuate it, right? And so Edwin Freeman, who's this family therapist, he noticed that the modern families are characterized by chronic anxiety, this high level of tension or nervousness that a group experiences as a whole. I read a book uh, a couple years ago, and it was talking about kids these days, right? Have you ever said that before? Kids these days are the exact same as kids in those days. Exactly the same in kids your days, right? But I would argue that it seems like there is this abundance of anxiety in the air. I feel it in my school at Rossell. There's this abundance of anxiety where we have emotionally, this is gonna be a weird word, emotionally dysregulated parents sending emotionally dysregulated children to school to be taught by emotionally dysregulated teachers. Anybody see a problem with that? And we expect anxiety to disappear. And we wonder, why is people so anxious? Why are people so anxious? Well, it's because we're anxious that people are anxious. And so the challenge that I see in this scripture you know, that's the problem, right? People being dysregulated in their emotions. Again, awareness is only the first step. I see the solution as being a non-anxious presence then. And so when I agreed to step back into my role at Rossell, I knew every single day 
I was going to have the opportunity to either perpetuate anxiety, to join the club, to be just as anxious and exhausted as my coworkers, or I was going to have the opportunity to be what I call a non-anxious presence in that building. And so it took time. It took a lot of work, and it took a whole heaping dose of the Holy Spirit. But what I've tried to do in that building, in my role there as a counselor and as a PE teacher, is to be a non-anxious presence. But that doesn't come from me. That can only come from Holy Spirit, who's willing to give me what I need exactly when I need it. And my job has the opportunity to be anxious. Friday was a day. Avery came in for a test, and I told her, it's been a day, Avery. It's been a day. Because not only did I have, you know, I teach PE, so that means I taught PE for 120 students on Friday, thankfully broken up into groups of 15 to 20, but still a lot of kids. But my fourth graders needed a conversation on being rude and unkind to one another. So instead of taking a lunch break, I was in their classroom talking to them about not being rude and not being unkind to one another. And then gets to the end of the day, and now Avery's coming in for a test. and got to deal with that. And Maddie had all this homework because she's been sick, right? Avery, how stressed was I on Friday? <laughs> this is me. This is me. My, my job is to be a non-anxious presence. No matter how much external chaos is going on around me, it ain't easy but that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. And I got to believe that Jesus, it took some work for him to be asleep in the boat as it's rocking, <laughs> right? Right? And it wasn't, he wasn't pretend sleeping. It wasn't like he was just like, I wonder when they're going to try and wake me. <laughs> oh, they're starting to freak out. <laughs> they're coming over now. Okay, okay, just got to act like I'm still asleep. No, no, he was literally asleep. He was literally asleep. And you got to realize that that is a process. So my question then is, how do we combat the pattern of the world that Kirk talked about? It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul is writing to us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12, 2. Right? That's the challenge from Paul. But how do we combat that pattern of the world? Well, in my opinion, it's by embracing the rhythms of Jesus. I call it the Jesus beat. I'm a drummer. It's what I like to do. I do it in my free time. Instead of writing a sermon last night, that's what I was doing. I was drumming, going, don't worry about it, Stephen. Don't worry about it. Just play another song. Don't worry about it. You know, and, uh, and so I call it the Jesus beat. What do I mean by that? I, there's this path, right? There's this rhythm that Jesus lived out in his daily walk while being here on earth. This daily habit that he had of creating union with the Father, communion with the Father, 
so that he can sleep in a boat when everybody else is freaking out. And so what is this beat, right? What is this rhythm that Jesus had? Well, if you're writing stuff down, it's prayer. Jesus devoted himself to prayer daily, daily, and not just once a day, all day, every day. Daily, he was in prayer. He was in scripture. He was in scripture. Did he have a Bible like we have? No, he was the word of God. But so scripture was locked up inside of him. So that's the challenge for me and you is to get to a point where scripture is locked up inside of us, where it's stored inside of us. Trisha and I have been talking about this, how when people come to us, that scripture is what comes out of us, right? That's for Jesus. That's what Jesus did. When people came to him looking for an answer, looking for a reason, he didn't have to, you know, give some great speech or be very persuasive. No, oftentimes he was speaking in scripture back to them, right? Because scripture was stored up inside of him. A rhythm of fasting, giving up food, right? I, I think about fasting like this. It's called self-deprivation, right? Depriving yourself of something to avoid self-deprivation, which means keeping me from becoming depraved. That's the role of fasting in my life. That was part of Jesus's natural rhythm. Worship, spending time glorifying God in my life, Lord. Be glorified. Sabbath, taking time off, away from work. And then the one that I want to spend time with today, silence and solitude. And so in order for you or I to become a non-anxious presence in a world characterized by chronic anxiety, we have to engage in different rhythms. We have to create different patterns because otherwise it's going to be real easy for us to get sucked right in to their cycle to get sucked right into their loop of chronic anxiety. If I'm going to avoid getting sucked into that loop, I have to be part of a better, stronger loop. I have to be engaging in prayer, scripture, fasting, worship, Sabbath, silence, and solitude. So the challenge is this morning, Stephen, what is silence and solitude? Explain that to me a little bit, because it's one of my favorite rhythms in the Jesus beat. Silence and solitude, it doesn't sound, it sounds fancy, but it's nothing too fancy. In the morning, after I've made my cup of coffee, after I've sat and read scripture, after I've spent time in prayer, I just go into the living room. It's nice and dark. None of my kids are awake. My beautiful bride is still getting some of her beauty sleep. It's just that perfect moment where the house is completely quiet and it's just me. And I just sit, I set an alarm on my phone because otherwise I might fall asleep. So I do set an alarm. And if you fall asleep doing silence and solitude, there's no shame in that. But I do set an alarm on my phone in case I fall asleep. And I just sit and I just try to open my heart before God. I just try to open my heart before God. I'll tell you what silence and solitude isn't, okay? It's not isolating myself. 
It's not retreating. It's not avoidance, and it's not embracing in self-pity, because sometimes we try to get away from people so that we can embrace self-pity. Or sometimes we try to get away from people because we're trying to avoid them, right? No, it's not isolating myself. It's creating a space of openness before God and inviting him and his thoughts in. And so in this series of rewire, as Kirk is talking about uh, emotions and feelings and, and how we've got to break free from the patterns of the world, how great that we can look to the life of Jesus and see the answer and see the process and see the way out of the loop of chaos that's going around us. And so I'm going to encourage you, if you are not in a rhythm of prayer, reading scripture, worshiping, and I'm not just talking about just on Sundays, okay? Worshiping, Sabbath, taking a rest from work, okay? Silence and solitude, fasting. If you're not embracing any of those rhythms yet, I'm gonna encourage you to try some of them out. And what's been great for me, and I know it will work for you too, is that as I've embraced Jesus's rhythm, it's protected my heart from getting locked into a cycle that was never intended for me. And so it's allowed me to become this non-anxious presence. Uh, Rich Velotis, this pastor that I like to listen to, he talks about silence and solitude being uh, this, being present to the presence of God. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just sitting on that couch, just engaging his presence and just laying my, my heart before him. And I, and I ask... Honestly, I ask these questions. I say, okay, Lord, where do I need to move in confession? Or is there anything in my life that needs to be confessed? And then once he leads me through confession, then I go, okay, Lord, where do I need to move in terms of repentance? And I just try to listen and wait as he speaks into my heart. And then I say, okay, Lord, where do I need to move in areas of forgiveness? And as I've given God that space in my heart and in my life, he's transformed me, you guys. Because otherwise, in a job that I work, like I work, in a school setting, it'd be real easy to start becoming anxious just like everybody else around me. Because I never know what's going to come through my door. The other day, I had a kid come into my classroom Janitor found him sobbing in the hallway. He had just gotten a text from his dad that his brother had been found dead. Died of an overdose. And so the janitor brings him down to my office, and this kid is a mess. And the last thing that kid needs me to be in that moment is an anxious presence to jump right into his loop of chaos that he's going on or has. But what can I do in that moment? I can step into the boat with him and I can sit with him and just be non-anxious and just allow the Holy Spirit inside of me to start transforming the chaos that he's starting to be in. And so this morning, I feel very strongly that God is wanting to bring us into a place of breaking free from anxiety. 
And so if you're somebody who struggles with anxiety, I'm going to say, obviously, there's a process here, right? There's a process, prayer, scripture, fasting, Sabbath, silence, solitude, worship, right? But I'm also going to say this, that Holy Spirit wants to help you in that process of breaking you free from that. David writes about it like this in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That path, that rhythm that Jesus has modeled for me. And so here's the deal. If you are somebody who struggles with anxiety, there's no shame here at all for you. But there is freedom for you. How great is that? And so I'm going to just encourage you to be honest this morning, okay? Be honest with me, be honest with yourself, be honest before God, because anxiety is definitely something that I struggled with growing up. I worried a lot. I was a pro at it. I remember my mom used to tell me, Stephen, stop worrying about others. Just worry about yourself, which isn't good advice, but she wasn't a Christian yet, and that's okay. But it was because I worried so much. I just, I had this habit of, I would visualize things, like bad things happening. I remember my dad was working on putting tin on our roof of our machine shed, and at night I would just lay in my bed just envisioning him falling off the roof while he's putting on tin. Now, for me, talking about this now, I'm like, man, that was stupid. What was I doing? What was I thinking back then, right? Right? But I was visualizing things. I had this habit of visualizing things, and my anxiety level would just go through the roof. And so it's taken some work and a healthy heap of Holy Spirit to get me to the place where I can be a non-anxious presence. But guess what? Anxiety's just around the corner sometimes. As a student comes down my hallway and I have no idea what the situation is, I can feel my heart want to be anxious and I just go, remind myself, wait a second, Lord, step into this boat with me. What do you know that I need to know in this moment right here? Help me to not be anxious. Help me to be like you in this situation. And so I'm going to invite you If you're somebody who wants to be free from anxiety this morning, I want you to just stand up for just a second. Anybody that wants to be free from anxiety this morning, 